Gaslight, Chapter 11 We are in October now. The cloying wasp thick hours of early autumn are over and winter prepares itself with crisp efficiency. The rock and tilt of the ship has cradled me for long enough and it, like me, has recovered and is due to set sail soon. Because the days are shorter and darker, the theatre will be busier. This has been factored into our plan. B bring, brings me news of the theatre whenever she can. Violet Knight is still there, of course, demanding ever more extreme costumes, making B more and more ill by the day. They've been rehearsing for Aladdin. Sid has taken to the stage himself now that he has found the perfect part and is playing the evil uncle, Abamazar, which I'm certain suits him. I'm trying out my disguise. At first I keep to the shadows if I see anyone I know, but as I get braver I hide less, and eventually I feel bold and carefree in this get-up. I can enjoy the familiar hustle and shove of life and wonder at how freeing it all it is to be dressed as a boy. Good day to you. I'm trying out my boy's voice. It's still a bit squeaky and the girl I speak to pulls a face. My wig is cropped and brown. The trousers make me walk in a different way. Hello to you. This time I get a hello back and no weird face. So my disguise must be improving. I do a little heel kick for joy, then break into a sprint. I'm wearing no restrictive undergarments. I can run about without anyone taking even a tiny bit of notice. It's wonderful. I shall have a go on a bicycle if I can get my hands on one. B has been telling me how things have changed at the theatre while I have been recovering. It's strange to talk about how that world has moved on without me in it. Gassy Jack has disappeared, probably dead. That will be Sid covering his traces so nobody can tell about Khan. I'm not surprised, but I am so sad. Without him, I wouldn't even be here. He was braver than I gave him credit for. And if Sid has done for Jack, nobody will investigate. There are lots of people who work and live without any documents in that theatre. I should know. I was one of them. As far as the world is concerned, I don't exist. I am well. My ankle no longer pains me. My face is bruised, but they faded to dull yellows and greys. I have a scar that runs the length of my cheek, an ugly raised seam, as if I have been stitched together. But I must be thankful that I kept my sight. Tonight is the opening night of the extravaganza Aladdin, and so Sid is guaranteed to be out of his office on stage at least some of the time. B will be watching in the wings to warn me if anything goes awry. I will buy myself some trousers if I survive this. If I get through this, I'm going to do all sorts of things that people will call advanced. I might even get my hair chopped off. If I can make it through without being murdered, I will do whatever I want for the rest of my life. I hope my mother won't mind. I bet she is for women's suffrage. I bet she is just marvellous in every way imaginable. I'm terrified and at the point of tears 
but I don't want to draw attention to myself. Also, I won't waste another tear on Sid. Not one. Ever. Again. Concentrating on the plan is the only way forward. Where is my mother? I imagine her on stage being adored by thousands of people. I imagine her in the darkness of a cellar, sewing by the light of a small oil lamp, till her fingers bleed and her eyes tear. I imagine her having another family, a husband who loves her, a child who she loves more than she ever loved me. I imagine her dying before she ever knows that I'm still here, dying before I have a chance to find her. It spurs me on. There are so many theatre goers making their way to the Empire. I stand across the street watching them in their finery, chatting and buzzing with happiness and excitement. Violet Night is big news and has brought people from far and wide. Of course this fame and fortune will be short-lived, as the audiences are easily bored. So Sid is making the most of it while he can. He told me, that he doesn't even bother with real bereaved families anymore. It's easier and more reliable just to get stooges. That way, she can be on every night. I can see a poster of her with chopsticks in her hair from the doorway I'm hiding in. It looks as though ticket sales are soaring. The lamplighters have finished their work and the streets glow, fizzle and pop. Being a thief has given me the gift of passing by unnoticed. There will be hours of entertainment on the bill, which means a consistent stream of people coming in and out. I'm relying on the chaos to keep Sid busy. He won't be able to resist basking in the admiration of the crowd. I sneak to the back of the theatre. It's easy enough in this early dark. There aren't many lamps lit back here. I know this place like the back of my hand, so I find the window easily enough. The catches on it aren't that smart, and I've cracked them on other people's houses enough times in the past to get in without causing too much damage. B offered to open the window for me, but I didn't want her to get caught. It's just not worth the risk when breaking in is so easy for me. It feels so hostile to me now. This place I called home for so many years. I see the backstage area for what it really is. Dirty, unloved, uncared for, cheap. Sid cuts back where his beloved audience can't see. Avoiding my room completely, I creep along the corridors, using the ones least travelled. All my senses sharp. The extravaganza is reported to be spectacular. It takes a lot of people to make that happen. The line boys will be there trying out their new spotlights. Stagehands will be pulling pieces of scenery across the stage and flying things and people in from the rafters. All the performers and dancers will be involved either on stage or in helping others with costume changes. B tells me that there is a scene in a palace where the whole harem of dancers surround Uncle Abanazar and even some of the men are on stage in yashmaks doing a belly dance to swell the crowd. This will be our best chance, but we have to time it perfectly. Sid's office is close enough to the stage that I can hear the boos and hisses of the audience. I try to doorknob in the hope of a miracle, but it is locked. 
taking a hairpin from my pocket, I bend it to a usable shape. My hands are trembling and my mouth is dry as an old bone, but I grit my teeth and concentrate. I push the pin into the keyhole and jiggle it about, waiting for the click as the lock is released. It doesn't come. The roar of laughter from the audience makes me fumble, and I drop the pin. I have to crawl about on the floor to find it. I see it eventually and wipe my hands down my trousers so I can pick it up and try again. Come on, come on, please. I jab it into the lock and will it to work. It clicks. Thank you. I check about me. The band strikes up an oriental tune and Sid's voice bellows out a song. He isn't a singer, but the villain can't always get away with being fairly useless. Can always get away with being fairly useless. I wish I could watch him so I could jeer at him. The song will only last about three minutes and then he is off stage until the second half. Long enough to come to his office and catch me red-handed. I let myself in and close the door quietly behind me. It's the same as always. That citrusy, acidic tang of his cologne. So much plusher than anywhere else that isn't open to the audience. Sid reasoning that he brings clients here to woo them, so it has to be attractive. I see through that now. The gaslight hisses and pops as I turn up the jet. I need to move quickly. The music is muffled now. I've closed the door and panic is fuddling my thoughts. Concentrate. I wish I knew what I was looking for. There's a bureau in the far corner. I pull the top towards me on its hinge and search through its contents, finding nothing useful at all. I look about me in exasperation. The desk, the top drawer, he always keeps that locked. My hands are shaking so violently that I have to stop and press them into the leather on top of the desk to calm myself. You can do this. I take the bent hairpin from my pocket and straighten it a little with my teeth, then wriggle it into the lock and listen carefully until I feel it give. This has got to be it. Please, please. I ease the drawer open on well-greased casters and lick the sweat from my top lip. The band is playing and Sid's muffled attempt at song can still be heard. I move a silver hip flask from the top of the pile of papers, being careful not to leave a fingerprint on it. There are his accounts. I don't have time to look through them, though I'm betting they make interesting reading. It doesn't matter how successful Sid appears to be. He never has any money. Perhaps he's spending it on horses or drinking it out, drinking it away. I place his latest account book to the right of the flask so that I remember the order to put them back in. There is an ink stamp and pad and a receipt book which shows that Sid spends a lot of the theatre money on champagne and at the barbers. At the bottom of the drawer, I find a bundle of letters held together with string. I manage to untie the knot though my heart is pounding so badly that it jerks my fingers. The first envelope contains a likeness of Sid's mother and a notification that she has died from the Angleton Asylum. I swallow the vile taste this brings to my mouth. The second is a demand for money from a solicitor, as is the third, fourth and fifth. I'm losing hope now. I hope I open the sixth. It is again from Angleton Asylum. I'm about to discard it when I notice that it has a different name on it. I can't quite make it out because it has been stained with water or champagne 
and the Incas one. It definitely doesn't begin with an A, so it can't be Agnes's mother. Who is this woman? Did Sid have someone else put in the asylum too? That evil, awful man. I go to put the letter back in the envelope and see that there is something else in there. It is stuck to the inside of the gum, so I gently prise it off, being very careful not to tear it. The woman in the photograph is my mother. She is exactly as I remember her. Exactly. He has had her incarcerated in the asylum, far away from Cardiff. This is how he deals with women who cross him. I don't know what she has done to make him do this, but I'm certain that's what's happened. He has threatened me with the asylum often enough. The audience is quiet. I don't have time to leave. I hold the photograph of my mother to my lips for a second, then put everything back in the drawer, exactly as it was speedily, exactly as it was, as speedily as possible. I frantically sweep the room for a hiding place. Turning the gas lights down, I crawl beneath his desk, holding my rattling breath tightly inside my chest. My thoughts scream at me. I didn't lock the drawer. I didn't lock the drawer. Sid comes in and turns the gas jets up. The lights spring into life. I sink to the floorboards as best I can and close my eyes, then open them again so I can best defend myself. Why didn't B come to let me know he was finished on stage? Why didn't I notice that the audience wasn't jeering anymore? I press my fingernails into my palms. His pointed Abanazar shoes appear. This would be comical if I wasn't facing death. My stomach cramps. My mother. I must think of her. I know how she is. This is the moment I've been waiting for for so long. I think of her locked up in a padded cell and the scream almost pushes out of my mouth. I bite my lip harder. I mustn't panic. He goes to the closet where he keeps his changes of clothes, muttering beneath his breath. I can't make out what he's saying, but I catch the odd expletive, and I know he is annoyed about something. Good. He hangs something up, then shuffles back to the desk. I can see up as far as his shins now. He's wearing trousers made of a gold, shiny material. I can make out every sequin on them. If he drops something... He will bend to pick it up and see me. I can't breathe. I can hear him moving things about above my head, shuffling papers. And then the worst happens. A pencil rolls from his desk and lands at his feet about an inch away from me. I will have to fight him. I will have to actually attack him, bowl him over in surprise. Otherwise he will murder me for sure. I try to make myself even smaller, as if I can melt into nothingness like a magician's assistant in a magical box. Sid is so close, his feet are only inches away. He feels the underneath of the desk, just centimetres from where my head is. I watch his fingers scurrying along and brace myself to fight. We stop on a tiny brass skeleton key, which is hanging from the underside of the desk on a hidden hook. It's for the drawer. Why didn't I think of to look why didn't I think to look for a key? I could never have realised he would leave it in such an obvious place. He picks it off and immediately drops it within two inches of where I am crouched. I am going to die. As if by magic, another set of feet appear. 
I'll get this for you, Sid. It's B. She gets a high-pitched scream in response, which in any other situation would be funny. Where the... How many times have I told you not to sneak up on me like that? His rage takes his attention away from the desk, and when B bends to get the key, I know that this was her intention. She catches my eye for a second, then moves away. Clever, invisible B. What do you want? He utters a series of uncouth words as she takes the key over to him. The first review is here already. I thought you'd want to know, is all. But don't worry if you are too busy. No. No, I'm not too busy at all. Where is it? He is so predictable. The pathetic slimy snake. It isn't unheard of for a critic to dash off a review as he watches the show these days. And someone always manages to get their hands on it before the curtain's down. Often the critic will be bribed into rewriting a bad review before it goes to print. Or they will sell a good one to the theatre manager if they can get a good price. Sometimes they are already in some kind of deal with the theatre. He's taken it off to the printers. I can tell you what it says. The beginning anyway. I read it myself. Don't be ridiculous. You can't read. I can. He picks up a leaflet from the shelf. Rimmel's toilet vinegar. A tonic and refreshing. Lotion for the toilet and bath. Clever, clever bee. Out of my way, you imbecile. Bee yelps. I assume Sid has pushed her aside. Then the door closes. I wait for any noise or trickery. There is nothing but the sound of the piped gas and the tick-tock ting of the clock. I move as quietly as a dormouse to a position where I can peer around the desk then take about an hour to actually look for fear that they'll both be standing there, Sid with his hand over B's mouth to stop her yelling, out to warn me. They've gone. The door to the office is shut. I swallow hard with relief, and though my knees are quaking, I pull myself together as best I can. I can hear a ripple of laughter and a clinky-plonky high-pitched tune playing on the piano. There is the sound of an explosion. Sid has clearly splashed out on pyrotechnics this year and an enthusiastic ooh from the crowd. I'm safe. I open the door a crack. The corridor is empty. I should go through backstage the way I came. Out through the window and into the safety of the dark at the back of the theatre. But if Sid is on stage, then there is a quicker way. I tug my wig straight and taking up the stance of a boy again, head for the foyer doors. The backstage is so dimly lit so that Sid can save money, that the lights in the foyer make me blink. I pray that I won't bump into anyone I know. It's such a small walk to the open air, but it feels as if I have a mountain to cross. The noise of the audience is louder here, and one of the usherettes is standing in the doorway to the auditorium, holding it open so that the stage can be seen. I can't help myself looking, just for a second. Sid is rubbing a lamp way above Aladdin's head, Aladdin is a girl I've never seen before. She's cowering on the stage, cowering on the stage and begging for the lamp back. Sid has his eyes and eyebrows penciled in to make them look darker, and a huge dark velvet cloak 
His hair had been slicked to his skull, and his eyes gleam in the limelight like a demon's. He prefers lime to the new electric lamps, as they make his teeth glitter more. There is a waterfall behind him, with real water and a real donkey on stage. The drum rumbles as Sid conjures a spell, and as the cymbals crash, the stage is plunged into darkness, and the girl playing Aladdin is left in the spotlight alone. The audience laughs as the donkey brays, presumably frightened by the noise. Are you all right there? My heart almost leaps from my mouth. It's Edith, the ticket seller, who was always a good friend to me. I can't let her see me, so I turn away brusquely. And making my voice deeper, reply, None of your beeswax, then make for the street outside. She hollers after me. Charming. Nobody don't got no manners nowadays. The night is purple outside and threaded with diamond stars. I shove my hands in my pockets as a boy might and walk with my head down till I am out of sight of the theatre, expecting at every moment that Sid will grab me from behind. Once I'm a safe distance, I throw my head back and howl a noise of overwhelming, all-encompassing joy to the sky. I know where my mother is. I want to shout these words out loud, but I can't, so I just howl again and again, sending seagulls into mewing flight, letting my voice weave through the turrets of the far-off castle Koch. Flapping the pages of the books on the shelves of the Cardiff Free Library and bowing the trees in the haze, my voice whooshes through the tunnel and breaks through the other side to Panar. It sweeps back to me, clattering the copper pans which hang in the indoor market, spinning the spools of bright thread and making the ribbons stream. The stained glass figures on St. John's Church window dance to hear my happiness, and the pipe organ blows rich chocolate notes to accompany them. I am the galloping white horse at the tip of a wave. I am the shimmering aqua green surf. These wild thoughts get me across town and down to the docks. And then I stop, silent as a statue. I should have locked the drawer.